Well, good morning, Reality Carp. Um, just want to say we love you. And for those who have not been able to gather with us in person, those who are watching and worshiping through this worship guide, we just want to say we're really, we're really thankful for you, really honestly proud of you for just pursuing worship in this season, in this way. I know it's been a long season and it's been different, um, but we know that the Lord is able um, to keep us connected together as we gather around his word um, and even just through technology, the gift that it is. So uh, we love you. I'm really glad you can be worshiping and pressing in to our good God together this way. Um, before we get into the teaching, I just wanted to share a brief personal update with you. Um, as you may know, you may not know that my wife and I, uh, we have two children and Obed and Jubilee, and we actually have our third child on the way. Um, we have a baby girl coming. Her name is Lillian, and um, she is due in a few months from now. And um, we recently just got uh, a report that our daughter Lillian has a tumor growing off of her tailbone. And um, at, at least from what we can tell right now, it should not be life-threatening. And the best we can tell, it's not cancerous. Um, though it may be uh, serious and it will require some serious surgery uh, once Lillian is born. And so um, a lot is up in the air on timing and the birth. We, we're going to uh, begin just having some regular doctor's appointments down um, uh, in Orange County where there's a specialist in a children's hospital who does this specific surgery on this specific tumor. Um, and so we, we will be monitoring that actively and um, Truly anywhere from a month from now, September or October, um, those two months will be the window where we will uh, deliver Lillian and then she'll take a few days to just recover from birth and then um, they'll remove the surgery or the, uh, the tumor there. So um, just an update about what's going on, how to pray for us. And, um, you know, I'm so thankful for our church and the Lord has uh, provided Travis um, to continue to fill the pulpit. And so, um, you know, Lord knows what the future holds, but um, we just want you to know kind of where I may end up really at a week or two's notice. We're not entirely sure this is in the Lord's hands, um, but just wanted you to know what's going on there. And um, I, I, I want us to together to actually take a break this week from the Gospel of John um, to look together at a psalm that has been honestly this week especially so deeply ministering to me. And it's something that I have gone back to personally um, day after day, even moment after moment. And it is so powerfully ministered to me. And I, I even prepared a brief teaching just as a midweek encouragement to our church out of this psalm. And it was just so ministering to me. And the more I dug into it, I just thought, do you know what? as a church, let's just take a break in this crazy season that we are in and look together at this psalm and really meditate on it and, and think about it and um, let the Lord speak to us through it. So if you will, open your Bible to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Now it's, it's you know, this psalm, we, we may be familiar with it as uh, in regards to maybe... Um, 
a women's, this is a women's ministry psalm, or this is a, um, you know, this speaks about our identity, um, or maybe this speaks about, you know, abortion and, and how we should view babies in the womb. And those are all valid implications and applications of this text. But this text, the more I have been, um, looking at it and letting the Lord speak to me through it, there is, this text is so, magnificent. This, this text and, and really the original context, this is a, this is a, a, a psalm that is proclaiming some eternal mirac, like magnificent truths about our eternal God. And, um, as we, as we look to this psalm, we'll read all 24 verses, um, in the, in the original uh, Hebrew, there were, there are six stanzas or paragraphs. This is broken up in six stanzas and really each stanza focuses around an attribute or, or as some throughout history have called it a perfection of God. And so together, as we study this Psalm, we are going to see six perfections of our God together. These will be like six anchors. That, that if we allow these things to, if we dwell and meditate on these things, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what's going on in our community, in our church, in our world, these six anchors will, will just steady you and keep you focused and keep you, um, near and focused on our God. These things are, they're like as Jesus was in the boat with the disciples and, and he just spoke a word and he calmed the storm. The truths in this Psalm is, is like the very words of Jesus just stilling and calming the storms, the anxieties, the worries in our own hearts and lives. And so we'll be looking at six perfections of God as we study this together. So let's read Psalm 139. And we will hear from God and, and Lord willing, let the Spirit just deeply encourage us together. So Psalm 139, I'm reading out of the NASB. This has been the translation that I've just been reading personally in my time with the Lord. And I especially love the Psalms in the NASB. So let's look at that together. This is David writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, oh, Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there, your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. 
For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed, for they speak against you wickedly and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it proclaims your very character and nature, your attributes, your perfections. Lord, I thank you that that you met with and encouraged and sustained our brother David through many trials and, and chaotic seasons, Lord. You, you showed yourself faithful to him and, and then by your spirit, you allowed him to reveal and tell of those wonderful truths to us that we would have them in your word. And so God, I, I ask that you would, you would encourage the faint-hearted. You would, you would shore up any areas where we're lacking, where we're doubting, where we are weak, that you would, you would try us and know us and reveal any anxious thoughts in our own mind. And as together we behold you and your glory, that, that these, these very truths would be like anchors to our soul that they would settle our minds and our hearts, that you would keep our minds stayed and fixed on you. So all our hope is in you, Jesus. You are worthy and worthy to be praised. Speak now to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as we know, we are truly living in a, in a season unlike probably any of our, something unlike anything we've seen in our lifetimes. No matter how old you are, this is, this is a chaotic season. Um, and we could be asking, what is true? And this psalm, the first section in the psalm speaks of the omniscience of God, that God knows what is true and speaks what is true. In our day, we may be asking, where is God? And the second section of our text speaks of the omnipresence of God, that there is nowhere we can go. There is nowhere God is not actively at work. These days, people may be wondering, is my life, is the world out of control? 
And yet the third section of this psalm speaks of the omnipotence, the power, the sovereign rule and reign over that God has over his creation on a grand scale, all the way down to the details of a baby in the womb. In our day where we are seeking for counsel and how do I know what to think or where to go, we, the fourth section speaks of the very wisdom and friendship, the secret counsel of God and that we can know those things. In our day where people are crying out against injustice, the fifth section of this psalm speaks of the justice of God. And finally, we ask for the personal, the, the, what decisions should I make and where should I go tomorrow and next week and next year? How, how can I know the way that I should go, the steps that I should take? And the final section of the psalm speaks of the personal leading of our God. This psalm speaks of six incredible attributes, perfections of God. The omniscience, the omnipresence, the omnipotence, the wisdom, the justice, and the leading of God. And these are things that we all, that I desperately need in our world today. And so the first perfection of God that, we're, that we see in this text is the omniscience of God, that God knows everything. Look with me at verses one through six. This is the first stanza and it speaks of the omniscience of God. And it begins, David begins with these two words, oh Lord, oh Yahweh. And let's just remember this. The Bible, the Psalms are not just academic principles, truths, vague, distant facts about God. We see some of the most profound doctrine and truths about God as, as David is praying as he is crying out to God. The knowledge of God comes not just as we study him from afar, but as we are intimately pouring out our hearts to God. We are reading the personal cries, the soul cries of a man who is under pressure, who is crying out, oh, Lord. He doesn't just say, let me just tell you some facts you need to know. He's crying out, oh, Lord. If you are wanting to know more about God, I just want to encourage you, maybe start with simply crying out to him. Oh Lord, oh Lord. And then he says, you have searched me and known me. You have searched me and known me. That word known speaks of intimacy, a personal knowledge, a personal relationship. And this this section, as it speaks of the omniscience of God, he knows everything. David is making this personal. You've searched me. You know me. And what he's really combating in this psalm is hypocrisy. He's saying there are those who look religious and look spiritual, but they but but they're hiding things from others. They're hiding things from God. They're keeping things in the dark, but he's saying, Lord, there's no hiding from you. You have searched and you have known. David is even opening himself up. He's saying, search me, O God, come and know, come and know me truly. 
And then he goes on to say in verses two through four, you know, look at what God knows of David. You know, when I sit down and when I rise up, you understand my thought from afar before David is thinking, as David is thinking, God discerns what he's thinking. You scrutinize my path and my lying down. That word scrutinize is another word. uh, it, It means another word for it is to winnow to winnow. And, and really what it's getting at is, is God brings whatever's in the dark into the light. He's saying God, God scrutinizes. There's nothing David does or thinks that can stay in the dark. He brings it into the light. Verse four, even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You know, what's interesting about humans and our knowledge is is we can have there, there can be a difference between what we say but and what we really think and and the bible says you know generally a, a, a person's heart what's in their heart will be revealed by their words but we can often say things that is covering up what is really in our hearts and so we can go about and, and be deceitful and double-tongued or hypocritical and say one thing, but inside our hearts, we're doing something else. But what David is saying is God doesn't know us the way people know us. People can only observe us, but God knows what's going on in our hearts. Even before a word's on the tongue, before a word is formed out of David's mouth, God sees the heart. He knows the heart. Verse five and six, you have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand on me. He's just saying, there's nowhere I can go where you do not know me, before me, behind me. And verse six, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. What he is simply just in awe of is God's knowledge is infinite. It's too high. It's higher than our ways. What God knows, what God thinks, what God does is higher than what we do. There is, it is truly infinite. We cannot grasp it. One, one, uh, pastor said, uh, said this a few hundred years ago. He says, we see most of God when we view him as incomprehensible and see ourselves swallowed up in the thoughts of his perfections. What David is declaring in verses one through six is God is infinite and his knowledge is infinite. There is no end to the knowledge of God. And as a mere creature, it is just too much. It is too much for us to grasp. And I want us just to draw out a few applications for us in this time. Listen, we think that David wrote this psalm when he was under scrutiny or criticism or pressure. And as David develops some themes, we can, we can see why it is likely he's, he's writing this when other people are judging him, when other people have thoughts about him. But what David is saying, and this is where it, it gets, it hits home for us, is even when there's unfair accusations or unfair opinions or uh, about you or your reputation is at stake, he's saying, even when people are saying certain things about you, you can go to God. Because God knows the truth. 
God knows you. He knows your heart. He knows your minds. He knows everything about you. When you are being unfairly treated or misrepresented, he's saying you can bring that to God because God knows. People will have their opinions. People will will make their judgments, but their knowledge is limited. Their knowledge may be biased. It, It may not be fair, but he's saying you can always go to God and cry out, oh Lord, you know, you see, you know what's going on. Another way we can uh, apply this is, is when, when we are suffering or when there's something unfair, it, it is never overlooked by God. The Bible says, the psalmist says, you keep my tears in a bottle. There is nothing that has ever happened to you. There is no dark moment in your life that God overlooks. He sees it all. The third way that this infinite knowledge of God hits home for us is this. It should, it should warn us and at the same time encourage us. He's saying God knows everything about us, everything about you. There is no moment when you are not under the knowledge and eyes of God. Now, on the one hand, that should, that should warn us. That, that should keep us hum, humbly knowing God is watching me. That should, listen, I am, I, I am so willing to break a rule or honestly, often even a law such as the speed limit or maybe a no trespassing sign when I'm out camping if there's nobody around. But what I, I have no problem in my flesh with kind of breaking some of those small rules, but I hate getting caught. It is so awkward for me. I I hate getting caught. And so if, if I'm bending a rule and there's someone out there, I'll just run away. I I can't take the, the, uh, I don't know what the word is, just that feeling of they caught me. But, but what this should remind us of, and really it should just extend that application of, listen, there is never a time when you're not going to be caught, so to speak, by God. He is there. He is watching. This should, this should restrain us from sin. We should remember God sees it and he knows. This is like if you were to stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon and you're looking at this wonder, it should, it should give you some pause about being reckless when you're standing on a ledge where there's thousands of feet below you. It should, it should slow us down, give us pause, make us careful about what we're about to do. But at the same time, like standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon, it should also give us great awe We are in the eyes of an infinite God. We are, as you would behold the Grand Canyon and it's majestic and beautiful and wonderful. So you are in the presence of a God who is always seeing and all knowing and there's nowhere we can go to escape from his knowledge. And so this first perfection is that our God is an omniscient God. He knows all there is to know. The second perfection we see is the omnipresence of God. And we see that in verses 7 through 12. Let's work through that together. Verse 7 begins, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee 
from your presence. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. The, 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 the big distinction here is this. Not only does God know, not only does God see, it's not just that God is very smart and knows everything going on in the world. It's that God is there, that God is present. God is not just an intelligent God with a lot of knowledge. He's a personal God who is present with us. And I love, he, he, he begins to speak of the outer reaches of creation to describe the presence of God. He says in verse eight, if I went all the way to heaven, the furthest ends that I can imagine in creation, you're there. And if I went all the way to Sheol, to the grave, often that, that would speak of the, the very center of the earth. If you just dug a pit to the very bottom center of our earth. He's, he's, he's stretching the limits of, of how far apart you can get in creation. He's saying there is, there is nowhere to go that you can escape the presence of God. Verse nine, if I take the wings of the dawn, that's a expression, a Jewish expression that speaks of if you've ever seen a sunrise and you're sitting there and, and, and you see that the light begins to hit the clouds first or maybe even the mountains, those high points. As the sun begins to stretch out, even before the sun rises over the horizon, that's, that, that was referred to as the wings of the dawn. He's saying if, if, I, if I take the wings of the dawn or if I went all the way to the bottom of the sea, Again, there's nowhere I can go that is away from your presence. He says, okay, fine. Maybe if I went to just darkness, if I, if I just surrounded myself with darkness and I couldn't see anything, he's saying even there, even in darkness, it's not darkness to God. He is not limited to creation the way we are. God's eyes are not physical eyes that require light to enter in so he can see. Even the darkness and the night is not darkness to God. He, he is saying, God, there is nowhere I can escape, not only your eyes, but your very presence. And, and there's two applications here that I want to draw for us. In, in this season in particular, this may be a season of great loneliness for us as we have not been able to gather as a, a church as we normally would, as we are not able to meet together in the same type of communities as we would, as many of us maybe even have health issues or precautions. And so we, we can't do certain things we normally would. This is a very lonely, isolating, even dividing uh, time in our society. But David is reminding us, there is nowhere you can go where God is not there with you. As David says in another Psalm, if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, if I'm in the darkest, most lonely place, he says, you are with me. You, God, 
are with me. Even there, your hand will lead me and guide me. And then again, the second thing, this, this truth of God's omnipresence should also uh, um, apply to us is again in that area of hypocrisy. That we can hide from people, we can fool people, we can appear one way to people. But again, not only does God see, he knows and is with us everywhere we go. We cannot escape the presence of God. And so David is, is expressing, God, you, you know me. And I want to ask you, do you have that same posture, where that same invitation? God, I want you to know me. I want you to lead me and be with me no matter where I am. You are there with me. Third, we see the omnipotence of God. Look with me at verses 13 to 16. And and this here is the heart of what has been so deeply ministering to me lately. Verse 13, for you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the sea. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance and in your book were written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there were none of them. He's saying here, How does God know all things? Because he made all things. There is no one that more intimately knows something than the one who who made it. And David, he was speaking these great truths. You know all there is and you are everywhere. But, But that's because you knew and formed me. You knew and formed everything, but specifically you formed me. You know me, God, not just these grand general truths, but God knows me, he's saying. He's saying God knows you. He knows your personality. He knows your family history. He knows everything there is about you, your mind, your body, your soul, every day of your life. And verse 16 is one of the most mind bending truths to me personally in the scriptures. He's speaking of of himself in the womb. And he says, your eyes saw my unformed substance when there was just a few cells in the womb. And then he says, and in your book were written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. Now, We know this great truth that we're familiar with in Ephesians 2, that we are God's workmanship. We are created by God. We are a a masterpiece, if you will, that was created by God. If you are a piece of clay, you have been shaped and molded by God. And what he's saying in verse 16 is this, as an architect or a builder would have a a blueprint, would have a, a picture in advance in his mind or on paper of the thing he is to build. So your life is like that to God. God has a book. And in his book, before you existed, 
when you were just an unformed substance, he designed you. He designed your life. He designed your days, all the days that were to come, your finished product of your life. The masterpiece that is you, that is your life was sketched out by God in his book. And he looked at it. And as he created all things in Genesis 1 and 2 and said, it is good. So he looked at your life, Christian, and he drew it up. And he says, that is good. Their personality, it's good. Everything in there, I will work for good. Even the evil that you will see, we see time and time again, what man intended for evil, God looks and creates and fashions it such that it will work for your good. All the days are written right there. And he says, it is good. I will make it good. We see this truth testified too in the book of Job where he speaks of his days and months as numbered by God. Again, if in verse four says, before a word is on your tongue, surely all the days of your life God can know. God is outside of time and he can look at time and he, he's outside of time and he looks at your very life. We know this to be true because how else would prophecies be true? God sees the future. He knows what comes to pass. And not only does he see it and not only does he know it, as we saw in this Psalm, but he forms it. He forms all that there is to be formed. Isaiah 46 says, declaring the end from the beginning so that all of the plans and purposes of God will come to pass. God sees you and knows you. God is with you, but he is also, he is omnipotent. He is sovereignly orchestrating the days of your life. And this truth is an anchor because that means that no one else is sovereign over your life. No circumstances are sovereign. No viruses are, so, are sovereign. No ec economy is sovereign. Even no people are sovereign. Satan and death is not sovereign. Even you are not this all sovereign one over your life. Your days were formed and written before they came to be. Now this is balanced with the other biblical truths that we are held responsible and accountable. We are free to make decisions and will be held accountable for them. But under or over those truths is God's sovereign decree. And all our days are written by him in his book. And why that is such an anchor for your soul is no one can thwart the purposes of God that he has for you, for your life. No one can thwart it. Not even you, not even your own sin and foolishness. God is sovereign. God works all things for your good. And so the days of your life are are ordained and you can trust him in that. The days of my own daughter's life who is being formed in the womb right now with a tumor. Listen, God didn't just go to sleep one day and oh no, what do I do? He saw, he sees her days. I can trust God with my own daughter's life because they are in his hands and in his book are her days. Her days are numbered. What will worrying do? What will worrying change? It won't. And so together we say we can trust our sovereign, omnipotent God, no matter what is going on. 
The fourth truth we see is the wisdom of God. Look with me at verse 17 and 18. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Now the key is is the word your thoughts. How precious are your thoughts. That word thoughts, it has the meaning of, it's not just knowledge. It's not just God, God, God has like statements or knowledge. His thoughts speak of his, his, his intimacy. His, it speaks of the friendship or even secrets of God, the, the secret counsel, if you will, of God, that, that God makes known his thoughts to David, that God makes known his thoughts to people. God doesn't just give us um, general knowledge, but he has revealed to us his personal secret counsel and knowledge in his word. If we were without the word of God, we could, we could study nature and understand some general truths about God. But because God has revealed his thoughts to us, we can actually intimately know God in some meaningful way. And David is rejoicing that, that he can know the thoughts of God. He calls the thoughts of God precious. He says, how vast is the sum of them. I can't even count them. How wonderful that we, mere people, can know the very thoughts and wisdom of God. That God would reveal himself to us. The infinite one, the one who is beyond knowledge would still reveal his very character and knowledge to us. And as the Bible says, he gives us his word, but then he also gives us his very spirit. And, and the Bible says, who can know the mind of someone but the, the very spirit within him? And because we have been filled Christians with the Holy Spirit of God, we can, we're brought in to know the very thoughts of God. Our eyes are open to understand the spiritual things revealed to us in the Bible, as Paul speaks of in 1 Corinthians. And his thoughts, his thoughts to his plans to save us, to redeem us, to choose us, to give himself to us, his thoughts, his plans, his purposes, to give his son to the world. These are the thoughts of God that are are so precious to us. There is nothing more precious than the thoughts of our God. And I just want to read briefly one, one section of the New Testament out of Ephesians chapter one, where, where Paul is speaking of the eternal thoughts and plans of God. And, and he's, he's just speaking of the plans of God from eternity. And, and I just want us to, to hear, as you will, the truly the, the, the climax of the thoughts and plans of God in history in sending his son. Ephesians chapter one, I'll just read verses three through nine. He says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now now hear these thoughts, these plans of God. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. 
in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention in which he purposed in him. What Paul is saying here is look at the plans of God, the mystery of God, the thoughts of God, that he would choose you before the foundation of the world to, to know him, to be saved through Jesus, to be adopted as his son, that you would have redemption and forgiveness in Jesus. These are the thoughts and ideas and secret counsels of our God. And God has, has revealed these precious thoughts to us in his word. Fifth, I want us to see the justice of God. Now, in verse 19, all of these wonderful truths about God kind of take a hard turn. And I've, I've never really understood why these verses are in this psalm. He's speaking how God knows him and God is with him and God um, designed and knit him in his womb and his thoughts are precious. And then all of a sudden in verse 19, it starts speaking of God's judgment and how David hates the wicked. And it's always like, wow, this is such like an uplifting psalm and it just got so gnarly. But, but if we remember for a moment, what is the context and what is David talking about in this psalm? Again, he's speaking against hypocrisy. He's speaking of his desire to be fully, wholly honest and true before God, that God would search him and know him, that David would not hide from him. And then what David does in verse 19 is he speaks of those who reject this knowledge of God, who reject the plans and purposes of God. Those who, who maybe externally want to be thought well of and look what a religious person I am, but internally they don't want to be known by God and they, they aren't rejoicing in the thoughts of God. And so David then begins to express his frustration. If not, even the very reason he wrote this psalm is he was he was frustrated with the wicked ones who were oppressing him. And so let's read together verse 19 to 22. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed. For they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. He's saying these people don't respect, they don't love these truths of God. In fact, they speak against God. Verse 21, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. Now, first and foremost, it's important to recognize David is hating evil. He is, he is, he's rejecting bloodshed. He's rejecting those who speak ill of God. He separates himself from them. He, he, he doesn't want to be a part or take part in their plans. He's desiring God's perfect justice on the earth. And, and, and two, two helps for us as David says some of these 
these hard things. First, notice in verse 19, he appeals to God to deal with these men. He says in verse 19, oh, that you would slay the wicked. He's bringing his frustration to God. David isn't himself going out and and fighting against these men with his own means and his own weapons and his own flesh. He's saying, oh, that you, God, would deal with these things. Unlike Peter in the garden who took that sword and cut off the ear of the servant, he had righteous anger, but, but he was fighting in the flesh. David is saying, God, I trust you to deal with these things. And secondly, it's important for us to to remember this. And David would be the first to acknowledge this as we see in other Psalms, that we all at one point were wicked people, people who rejected God and took his name in vain. We have all sinned, but we remember that God came for the wicked, for sinners. And in Christ, Jesus took sin upon himself, that whoever would trust in him, who would turn from their wicked ways, repent from their sin and trust in God would would experience the forgiveness of God and Christ would take our place on the cross. And we see in Psalm 51, David is in, he's broken over his own sin and he's crying out, Lord, have mercy on me. You can forgive me. And so we remember that God does bring justice, but he offers grace for whoever would come to him, whoever has done wicked things, whoever has sinned against God and humanity can find grace in the blood of Jesus. But if those will not turn to Christ, there is coming a day when God will deal with all evil and all injustice. And when Christ returns, he will take those who have trusted in, the, in him and he will bring them to himself and he will create a new heaven and a new earth where there is no more injustice. And he will punish forever those who would not turn to him. And God's perfect justice will be given to them for all eternity. And so David speaks of the holiness and the justice of God. And finally, the last two verses, David speaks of the leading of God, that personal leading of God. Let's read verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, know my heart. See, try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And, And really what we just need to see here is, again, David is proclaiming these great truths about God, but he's making them personal. He's owning them personally. Lord, know me, search me. I have an anxious heart. I need to be led by you. And he's just inviting God to to not only know all there is and be with him and and be sovereign over his life and to reveal his counsel and to deal with the wicked. But he's saying, God, I wanna walk with you personally. I need you. My own anxious heart needs you. I need your very spirit 
to lead me and guide me all the days of my life. And so church, we just need to remember this truth that our lives are not out of control, that we can look to our great God, to his character and his nature and his attributes like anchors for our soul. And even now, if you have yet to come to this God, you can find mercy and grace from a holy, just God. You can find mercy and grace in the blood of Jesus. And Christian, together, no matter where we're at and what our anxious thoughts are, we can look to our good God who knows all, is always present, is always sovereign, is always wise, is just and yet is merciful on the cross and will lead us as a good shepherd all the days of our life. Lord, I thank you for who you are. You are our good shepherd. You are our infinite, holy, mighty God. Lord, wherever wherever we're at, whatever we're dealing with, whatever our anxious thoughts are, we believe, we know that you are God and you are more than enough for us. So Spirit of God, would you press these truths wherever we may need them? And even today, would you fill us with your spirit and lead us in the way everlasting? In Jesus' name, amen.